Uh, now we're, we're actually still live on YouTube. I don't know what happened in the sounds. Everything's working out right now. Everyone's cool. Yep. All right. So now, Mark, you could open the show. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. I'm here with my co-host, my partner in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? What's happening, man? You know, it's funny. Uh, Mike Cilio, I had spoken to him probably almost like a year ago. Yeah. And we were going to try to bring him into the studio. And for whatever reason, things got screwed up every time we were trying to have him as a guest. And uh, here he is. Yeah, I, th I think the COVID was the big thing. That's what broke. And then and then I couldn't get into the city or whatever. It shut down. So Yeah, it shut us down. That's when we became Zoom masters here. Yeah. yeah. So when we, we introduce our guest, um, he's an NYPD aviation, retired NYPD aviation detective. He's a Medal of Honor, uh, Valor, a Medal of Valor recipient. Uh, and he's here with us tonight all the way from, where were you? I'm out in Long Island, East Northport. Uh, East Cupcake. Cupcake, you got it. But I'm a Queens guy at heart. I'm only out here the last two years. Give it up for our guest, Mike Cilio, folks. <laughs> you know Thank something, you. though, Mark? For him, it doesn't matter where he lives. He can just jump in the copter, and he's in anywhere in six minutes. You know? Yeah, that would, that, that, I tell you what, if I had the money to own one, it would be really nice. <laughs> It'd be really nice. <laughs> Boy, let me, you know what I always wanted to know about aviation? How the hell did you get into aviation? When B to that question, were you a pilot before you came on the job? So I'll, I'll answer that question. Yes, I no, I wasn't a pilot before I came on a job. So when I was a kid, about 15, I took my first flight in a small airplane and I was hooked. I wanted to take flying lessons. I discovered girls, you know, you know how that goes. And then at 20, I, I got on the police department. I took the test. I was like, I think I was 17 years old when I took the test because you could take it at 16 and a half. So I came on a job uh, 91, April 91. I was only 20 years old. I was two months after my 20th birthday. And um, unfortunately, I landed in transit. Transit didn't have helicopters. Yeah, they don't have an aviation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I stayed there for like a year and a half. And um, then I did the lateral transfer. And then I, I wound up in, the, I landed in the 9-4, literally landed in the 9-4 precinct, Greenpoint. Nice place to work. And I started doing steady four to 12s. When I started doing that, I said, you know what? I'm going to get back into the flying stuff. And then that's when I did it. It started taking pension loans like crazy. And I, I hit the airport in the morning before work, before the four to 12s. And I started training and I, and I got my pilot's license. So that was probably uh, about eight years into my career somewhere. And then I applied for aviation in about right around 2000. Then 9-11 hit. And then, of course, the job froze for whatever amount of time. And it took me five years from the date of application to the date I got picked up the aviation. Three interviews, five years later, I finally got picked up. So it's well, a good question. You, you know how we would describe you on our show? Uh, what do you mean? We'd say your balls are dipped in butter. Getting yeah, aviation. yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. We're like, who did he know? Who heated up that fucking butter cauldron for him, you know? <laughs> That's right. Look. Because, yeah. I mean, the reality is, um, I mean, you got to know somebody, though, right? Because you do. You do. Because yeah. the truth is, is like, there's a lot of people, you know, former military. You, you might even have some people that flew commercial airlines before um, they, they, they got sick with that job and decided to take the PD test. So, um, 
yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, not a lot, but let's say out of the whole, you know, 30,000 cops plus, there's got to be a hundred that have yeah. some pilot license. Yeah, yeah, the candidate pool is, is rather small. And then, you know, when I got to aviation, there was only maybe 20 pilots and about 15 maintenance or, or, or mechanics there. So it was a really small unit. And these guys stuck around the for a long time. Guys, those, those guys are cops too? Yeah, the mechanics are cops. That's the scam. I want that job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that yeah but except if they fuck up and he crashes, man, that's not Yeah, th those guys were our lifeline, man, and, 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 and they were awesome, you know? These guys were, kept, kept those things running 24-7. So they, they trained you from ground zero to, to learn how to be a pilot. Well, in some sense, yes. But, like, the prerequisite for you to get in the unit is to have a commercial pilot license. And you so, that. Okay. Yeah, I, I had an airplane um, commercial pilot license. I, I worked, you know, I worked, like I said, I did that before the 412s, and, and that's a prerequisite. Not saying there's a couple of special cases where guys just got parachuted in there and they had yeah, nothing. There's, no, there's no, like, Keith's son who fucking has a running... Like, like I said, yeah. And he got kicked out of Midtown North and he winds up in aviation. There, there, there's they been got, a few cases of that, yeah. So yeah. You, you mentioned that you took out pension loans and that you would go, uh, you know, learn about flying and learn how to be, become a pilot. Yes. So how many days a week did you do that? Probably did that about three days a week. Um, and then all my RDOs, maybe one or two days. So, yeah, I was hitting it hard for a while. You so know? you say hitting it hard. Like, so you get, you get out, you get your, you're trying to get your pilot's license or you got your pilot's license, but now you want to get your miles in. Yeah. So, so the whole way it works is, the first license you get is a private pilot license. Basically, it's just, you know, 50, 60 hours. You go take a, a, a check ride or, you know, like a, a test with an examiner and you're good to go. You take your friends up, you take your family up, you know, you, you're showing off. Hey, I got a license. But that doesn't, you know, say that, hey, I, you could get hired. To, wait a to minute. Wait, wait, wait. Let's go back a little bit. Sure. You said you got your, your license and then you take your friends up and your family up. I'm not just so I'm not coming with you. No offense. <laughs> I like it. I like it, but I'm, I'm like, dude. I like weekend warrior pilots, you know? I you know, yeah, you, you got to get courageous people to get in the helicopter. Well, not in the helicopter. I like the guy with 2,000 combat missions in, in, you know, in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. So, so you build your time. I mean, you do that. You build your time, and then you advance your ratings. Your next rating is the instrument rating, which will, you know, give you a certification to fly into the clouds. And then the, the one beyond that is commercial. By the time you get to your commercial license, you've already got three or 400 hours of the Falcon flying. So when you say hours, like when you go to the airport and you, uh, you, you, you sign up on a list to get a plane? Yeah, so, yeah, the flight school that you're, you're training with will, will also allow you to rent their aircraft. So, so how, what are we talking right now? Probably to, to cost? Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I want to be a pilot. Like, what's it going to cost me to, to, you know, to go up three times a week in a plane to get my hours in? Right now, from what I understand, I haven't flown an airplane in a while or rented one because, you know, I get paid to fly now. I don't have to pay for flying anymore. But from what I understand, it's about two and a quarter an hour right now to, to run that airplane, to rent one. It so may be more than that, yeah. $225 to go up with somebody else for an hour. Yeah, that's how much the rental cost of that airplane would be. And you have to get how many hours in? A hundred hours in? Yeah, to roughly, you know, like seventy hours before. You, it depends on how skillful you are, and and if you're, you know, if you pick up on it fast enough. Some guys, you could do it in forty hours, which is the minimum. Some guys do it seventy. 
you know, and some of them are due to do and it takes them to go 150 hours, you know, so. So at two twenty five an hour, if you got to do a hundred hours, we're talking like eighty seven, eighty eight thousand dollars. Yeah, I think back. Well, back when I, I have no idea what I said. Yeah, I was invested about seventy. You're the worst math of the one you would cop. You can fucking do math for shit. <laughs> That's why I stayed twenty seven years. I had to pay off all these pension loans. Oh wow! Let me ask you something. Who decides when you're ready to take the copter up yourself with a partner? Well. I was a flight instructor there. So when a, when a new guy comes in the door, he's, he, I don't care how much time you got on a job. And, and a lot of guys have issues with this. And, and, you know, I got to the unit, I had 14 years on a job. So I was already salty. I was in a sector car. I thought I was a big shot, you know, but now you get back, you get to the aviation unit, the first day there, they're like, uh, you're going to pick up meal for everybody. Then, you know, then you're going to go to headquarters, make another run. Then, and you you know, you don't care. You're a patrol guy. You're like, oh, the, the, you know, the worst day in aviation is the best day on patrol, right? right, right. So, so you get to this unit and, and you'll do anything. And then, you know, it wears you down after six months. And some guys, I mean, well, I didn't did, did you deliver the chief suits to the uh, cleaners that time? No, I wasn't there. That was that was <laughs> Ben Ward. I heard about that. Was, that was a big scandal. A fucking yeah. helicopter dropped off his, his dry cleaning, right? Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but to answer your, your earlier question, to, for a guy to... By the time a guy gets in the door there, he's doing a, a bunch of, of stuff from washing aircraft, going to get meal for the guys, doing meal run, uh, doing mail runs. Probably takes about 12 months before you're actually sitting in the helicopter flying patrol. Wow. Yeah. And, so, and that's not even a licensed pilot. You're you're on a what we would call a TFO status, which is, you know, you're, you're a tactical flight officer. You're basically looking out the window and, and you're the one who's talking on the radio to the, to the sector down, you know, whatever we issue. Wait a minute. What kind of aircrafts do we have, first of all? So because we went right to helicopters. So even though you're getting your pilot's license, you're learning how to fly a helicopter or you're learning how to fly a plane? Yeah, so two separate entities. It's, you know, we want... At the time, we wanted you to come in with a commercial pilot's license. It didn't matter if it was a helicopter or, or an airplane. But if you came in with an airplane license, guess what? We're going to train you in our helicopters. And then you got to get certified by the FAA to get a helicopter license. And that takes about 75, maybe 100 hours. It depends how good you are. Because complications in helicopters are different than, you know, like it's more complicated to fly a helicopter than to fly an airplane. Let's put it that way. That It's, it's very there's a lot going on, a lot going on in a helicopter. So if you get a guy that's coming in there who's flying airplanes and now we're, we're transitioning to, to helicopters, it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Did you do a lot of like purving into the uh, skyscrapers in Manhattan that had some hot women <laughs> dressed in front of the windows? No, no. But you know what? We had we had a fan club. We had we had a couple of fans along uh, Coney Island by Manhattan Beach area. So that, they flash you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you, would you take me out on a helicopter, some of those flashing runs? Yeah, sure. <laughs> we used to do beach patrols in the summer. And th there was this one area in Brighton Beach, and there was this one woman who lived right off of Brighton Beach, and she had a pool in the backyard, and you could see her clearly. We used to fly low along the beach, man, you know, 50, 100 feet. And every day we went by, she gave us a show all the time, you know? <laughs> But, so, you know, then we have noise complaints. Why are all the helicopters over here? We, we had to, you know, tell guys, you know, listen, you got to move on. You can't hang out over there. You know, you know so. we have a little short, um, we have a short little clip of you. Oh. Uh, let me see if I can pull the damn thing up.
No. A lot more gray hair there. So we use a helicopter to get to a remote location, point somebody out, and bring them to a hospital a lot faster than a vehicle can. From our base and operations in Brooklyn, we can get to the north end of the Bronx in five or six minutes. On board those helicopters, we have mapping technology, we have infrared technology, we also have voice. The FLIR, which is the forward-looking infrared, the camera basically that sees heat. So if uh, a perpetrator is hiding in a field or in a backyard, we can uh, see the body heat coming from that perpetrator. We are absolutely the sole anti-rescue outfit, probably within a 50-mile radius of New York City. Mark, I'm getting a woody, man. <laughs> That was pretty cool. Yeah, I remember shooting that video. Wow. That was pretty cool. So, we are uh, the NYPD. Yeah, remember that? Right? Every promotion ceremony. That's what we have a, is James you, Earl Jones coming in. Yeah. Uh, you guys have a, a, a gunner on the on the helicopter? So uh, probably in the last 10 years, we started shooting from the helicopter. We started taking the helicopters down to Fort Dix and doing drills and shooting from the helicopter. They were shooting mini-14s. Um, and then re they had a 50 cal actually that we were shooting. And I can tell you this much, we wear helmets and we hear hearing protection and I'll never forget the first time somebody shot a 50 cal from the back of the helicopter. The concussion stayed within the, the aircraft. It scared the shit out of me. You know, it was just so loud. It's unbelievable. But, um, I don't think the job will ever let anybody shoot from a helicopter. Uh, I think the intention was for maybe like a, uh, you know, a mass shooting type of incident the 50 cal was probably to stop a vehicle or stop something like that the intentions were to shoot like an engine block you know um but we know the liability with the job i i don't foresee them ever shooting out of the back of the helicopter let me ask you something with 9 11 uh you want were you in aviation during 9 11 no i wasn't i was on that was before your time but i had heard that there were pilots above the, the towers and they could see the yeah. swaying but there was no chance for a roof rescue Right. Uh, I mean, I, I've seen the, I, I knew the guys that uh, actually that were flying that day, uh, two guys that I worked with. Um, but there was so, I mean, I've seen the overhead shots. There was so much heat coming off the top of those buildings. You know, these are turbine engines in these helicopters. They're already burning at, you know, a high temperature. Let's, let's say, you know, 2000 degrees Fahrenheit inside those engines. If you ingest any more hot air, they're going to flame out these engines. They're going to cook them. Right. So you couldn't get near that hot air. These, these engines need cool air to go through them to keep them cool, you know? So that was the first problem. And then just the stability. You don't know the, 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 the structural integrity of the pad. Right. There's no way they could get on a roof. Hey, hey you know how, how do you shoot women and children? Wow. You got to lead them. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Full Metal Jacket. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I thought you wrote a new joke, Mark. That sucked. You stole that joke. <laughs> That's funny. You know, I was actually being sarcastic about the gunner thing, but it, it makes sense to, that you should actually know how to use it, you know? Yeah. God forbid, God forbid you got to use it, you know? I mean, yeah. You have that equipment. Um, but that infrared thing, it, you know, when you look at that and you see like a perp running down the street, 
it almost makes you wish you had a gunner up there, you know? Yeah, it, well, I tell you what, the, the infrared was pretty, I, you couldn't believe what you could see with those things. The problem was, if you went into like a cemetery at night and it was the middle of the summer, the tombstones would light up because they would, wow. they would just soak up all that heat, you know, during the day and especially the granite and it would absorb that. And then at night it would start cooling off, but you would see, you know, cause that's all it does is really, a, it's a temperate temperature differential, you know, between what is actually on the ground. And then the person is running a little hotter than what's the ambient temperature. Um, I had a guy once, I don't know if you remember in Staten Island back around 2007, they had the, the ninja burglar. It was like it was they had a big burglary pattern in Staten Island. So we were going over there, directed patrols. It's like three o'clock in the morning. We got over there and we got this guy, man. He was he was wanted for a bunch of burglaries and we had him in the woods. I had him. I had him on the camera. Was he Italian? He might have been. <laughs> he might have been. <laughs> he might have been one of my distance cousins. Yeah, he might have been my cousin, right? <laughs> but yeah, we, we had this guy in the woods. I had him on infrared. I even had him smoking a cigarette. You know, I could see this. And if you looked with the naked eye, you'd never believe it. So we're trying to walk ESU in uh, and get him in there. But then what happened was he went deeper into the woods where it gets too thick and, and the camera can't penetrate. So we wound up losing him. But, uh, yeah, that infrared is, is phenomenal. It did really you, is. Did you know uh, Steve Bonanno? I knew uh, Steve Bonanno was the CEO there, or he was a lieutenant there, I'm sorry, right. before I got there. But I knew of him, yes. Great guy. And I, I, I read this story. I saw the story, I think it was on Top Cops with he actually landed the uh, helicopter in a parking lot, ran into a supermarket, and Colin the perp got him cuffed and then took, handed him to the uniform cops and took off. Yeah. And, uh, supposedly your boss was like, you didn't do what I think you did, did you? And he goes, no, no. <laughs> well, before cell phones, we, we could probably do a lot more than what we've done in the last couple of years. Cell phones have ruined policing, right, in some yeah. sense. Yeah, you know what, let me ask you a question, because I've said this without any facts on the show in the past, but during the riots, I didn't see one helicopter. Did they use the helicopters during the riots, the ones that just happened? Yeah, they did, actually. And, um, you know, they, the, the nice thing about helicopters is, is, is there's a good psychological effect with them, too. You know, it'll either agitate people in a riot or it'll scare the shit out of a perp when you're looking for them. And you kind of push them out like you're pushing deer when you're hunting, you know? So um, I think sometimes, may, perhaps maybe in with, the, with the recent riots, I mean, I wasn't on the job for them, but I did know a couple of friends that were flying them. Um, maybe they didn't want to use them for, for a reason, though. They maybe had them standing off a little bit because just the rotor noise would agitate them, you know? Well, um, they were agitated enough without the helicopter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. They didn't, I mean, have, they didn't use the horses either. You know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it, I heard you know, the horses were pissed. You know, <laughs> yeah. that day. I used to love when Mountain came in and just you know, well, they, they stopped putting it. You know, and you know, Mike, what they also could have used, and I know, I, I noticed on your LinkedIn, you're a drone pilot too. Yes, both could have been very effective in those riots too. How Probably. Did, how did pallets of bricks get delivered? A drone could have watched. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, with the, I tell you what, with the. the Helicopters and the technology they got now, they could stand off a mile from where they need to be, put the camera on it, just stay in a hover and watch everything that's going on. So to serve the purpose of a drone, but now you got people relaying that information down rather than a drone. You got to look at something and then relay it to somebody else, you know, so it, it makes more sense. Um, I know the fire department has now evolved into drones because they couldn't get their own helicopter. So they, they did the second best thing and bought a drone or a couple of drones. Um, may serve them well for their purpose, but I think policing 
with drones for a large city like us. The fire department drones spend all day working out and eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how, how did They're you practice? muscular drones. Yeah, yeah. How did you practice using the drone? Did you go to a beach and annoy the shit out of everybody like the guy when I was in Aruba just did? No. You know what's funny? When you're – so – if you want to become a drone pilot and you're the average guy like yourself, you go and take a test and then you got to, you know, learn a little bit about drones. The nice thing about it is if you're already a pilot, you go online and you take this 20, uh, you know, whatever it is, two hour course. And now you're a drone pilot. So my answer to you is I've never flown one ever, so, but, uh -huh. but because they have this, uh, you know, license in that they, they allow, uh, uh, you know, a pilot already just kind of get grandfathered and say, Hey, you're a drone pilot now. So I've been blessed as a drone pilot. In some they, they're very, like, I, I taped the commercial um, and we used the drone uh, to uh, tape the pool scene from it. Yeah. And uh, it came out really cool. The commercial was a big hit. Did you fly it? No, no, no. I was, you know, I was one of the actors in the freaking, in the commercial. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, well, it was a porn movie. They needed a drone to fly over the bed. Yeah, so, uh, over, over the bed. So I saw, I saw the benefit of it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I also see the downside of it where, you know, like I said, I was in the beach in Aruba, and all of a sudden somebody must have bought this freaking drone from the gift shop, and now they're flying it on the beach, and, you know, you hear yeah. the waves crashing, you're soaking up the sun. You can hear the like the you know they always play that uh, you know the reggae in the background. Ah, I love I love Aruba. It's my favorite place. And in the middle of all this, all you hear is wee wee. Yeah. Yeah. I, wanted, yeah. I wanted to punch this freaking dude right in his face. Yeah. yeah. So bad. But, you know, Mark. You know something. You know how they use them in California. I don't know if you've been to California, but the Pacific is rough as hell, and some of these lifeguards are making 10, 15 saves a day. It's wow. So, the water gets so rough. So they're using drones to fly out and drop life preservers to people that are drowning. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's smart because, yeah. like, you're risking the lifeguard. Just fly the drone, drop the damn life preserver, and hopefully they'll be able to get in themselves. Yeah, listen, I, I'm not a fucking genius, but uh, I'm thinking to myself, why not give the guy a life preserver when he before he goes out to swim? That makes a lot more sense, those, right? Yeah. People, people in California, they they get in trouble in water that's like four foot deep because the current and the you know. The undertow, it's scary. And, and, they're, yeah. and they're from California. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Left wing. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, we in, in aviation in the summertime, we, we get like at least four or five drownings a summer in Rockaways and, you know, Orchard Beach, uh, Coney Island, a lot, a lot in Coney Island. Yeah. So your base, the, the base for um, the helicopters is uh, where well, we used to go drive over there? Floyd Benefield. Floyd Benefield, yeah. Yep. All right. So, um, so that's where you would report to every day. Correct. Yes. Yep. And uh, what do you do? You go in there. You polish the rocket a little bit. <laughs> the helicopter. Polishes <laughs> <laughs> the rotors. The rotors. Yeah. Hopefully, when they're stopped. No, you know, it 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 would be like a precinct. You come to work for your tour. You get in uniform. You go up. You do. You know, they do a roll call. They give you the, the assignments. Most of the time, that you know, obviously. There's three different crews. There's a patrol crew, there's an air sea rescue crew, and then right before I left, we had some new uh, aircraft designated as quick response force, and that would be like for, you know, any type of rescue, land rescue based, or or some sort of like mass shooter. How many helicopters are you putting out a tour? Uh, well, you could put out seven. We have seven in the fleet. 
Um, six of those, one of those is actually a training helicopter, but you could still send it out. It doesn't have any mission equipment on it or anything like that, you know, but yeah, you could, you could launch seven helicopters. And, and in fact, on big events like New Year's Eve, we'd have all seven aircraft up, uh, you know, like 4th of July, everybody's up. Depends, you know, big event, West Indian Day Parade. We had, man, we're rocking and rolling West Indian Day Parade. You know, one aircraft comes back, it's face-to-face relief. So literally, you're coming back up to, to Eastern Parkway, you see the other helicopter actually, and you take what off. What are you actually doing in the West Indian Day Parade? Just monitoring the crowd and lighting Monitoring the crowd, yeah, yeah. Yep. Are you recording? Yes, record and pretty, yeah, a lot of recording. A lot, a lot of the new technology now is all camera-related, high-definition video, yeah, you can pick up people. Who's in charge of the recording, or that's just something that runs all the time? So it depends. So we'd have a, what they call like a downlink, and that's they have this this console, and the console would be down at the THV. THV would would be able to see what we're seeing in real time from our cameras. So if they wanted to direct us somewhere else and say, "Hey, can you put the camera on?" You know, uh, I don't know, Kingston and and Troop or something like that we were able to put the camera there and they could see something. If they have somebody there that's starting up some shit, we could pick them out and they could go in there and pluck them out. You know what I mean? But yeah, we, we can record. And there are times when we don't want to record when the call is being made. Sometimes the camera gimbal goes off, you know, it depends, you know, we don't want to record too much. How many people are actually in the helicopter? Just the pilot? There's or- two pilots for the, so there's, so in the patrol helicopter, we go out with two pilots. There's, there's one guy flying, there's one guy not flying. They both can fly because there's both controls at both air, you know, both uh, pilot stations. Can you always fly? I did like, a lot of- I'm just saying, if it's me and you, you could always fly, it's okay. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, everybody wants to fly. That's the whole gig because if you're flying, it's the easy part. The hard part is looking out the window, relaying down to the guys what, what's uh, going on, switching the division radios. You're like the uh, recorder. You know, yeah, you're, it's, but you're doing a lot more than a recorder does, man, because you're really rocking and rolling, especially if you're bouncing through, uh, like, you know, for instance, I had a motorcycle pursuit once. It started in the, on the Bell Parkway, probably in the 6-0, and they closed down the Bell Parkway. This guy was moving, man. This highway saw, uh, lieutenant he was, he was wearing a white shirt, so he was a lieutenant. Shuts them down, he, the, the motorcyclist pulls up to him, rams the lieutenant, knocks him on his ass. So now... And then he takes off. He's heading towards Queens on the Bell Parkway. So I call a 13 to get everybody going for this guy. And now we're chasing the motorcycle. So now I'm going through the 6-3, the 102, the 7-3, the 7-5. Finally wind up in the 7-5. But the hard part is you're trying to relay where this guy is going all the time, you know? And you got to know your streets. You got to know what's out the window as opposed to what's on your map. Right. So the way I could portray it is that we had this big screen. It's a moving map. It's kind of like Google maps and you got to figure out where you are in relation to this guy, you know? So you, you, you're really like switching to other divisions. It's a lot of work. It's a lot yeah, of work. When sounds, you have something going on. Sounds intense. Yeah. Cause you yeah. can't just go, yeah, he's running down the street. Right. Cause now you're like Southbound on, you know, Southbound on, uh, you know, Linden Boulevard or something like that. And some guys in the precinct go, what the fuck, which way is Southbound? Yeah. You know, somebody would say, Hey, head towards the, the Macy's or something, you know, that's yeah. the way I like to do when I was on patrol. Yeah, yeah. Don't tell me South, North, East, West. Just tell me, give me a direction. Give me some, some big point, you know, and uh, of interest there that I could point out, you know, and that's the way I used to do it. So you, you, let's say one of those situations where you actually help a cop make a collar. Yeah. 
Like, do you ever come down? Hey, man, give him a high five. Or no, but you know what? You sometimes do a victory, you know, pass. You get down really low and just do a victory pass. Throw the helicopter on its side so that we call it blade slaps. And the thing really chops away. It's like, pa, 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 And you just buzz off, you know? It's just uh, kind of like a little victory cool. lap. One, one, one up for the good guys. And you, you, know? can, hear, you can hear, you can Yeah, you know, like Blue Thunder. That's Wagner. Oh, Yeah. Mike, but you know, some I know so much of aviation is exciting, but there's also the times when you have to drive some fucking useless politician to Albany or something, right? Yeah, yeah. It happens a lot, right? Now yeah. You talk about yeah. how you hated that. <laughs> yeah, so we, we used to do a lot of executive transport. I mean, a lot. And when Bloomberg was the mayor, he's a pilot, so he liked using the helicopter. So I, I flew Bloomberg, I couldn't tell you, a countless amount of times. Uh, luckily, when de Blasio became the mayor, uh, that guy just didn't use the helicopter. And you know what? That was freaking great for us because I'll be honest with you, I think we all have the same feelings about the guy. Yeah. You know, and not only that, when he did use the helicopter, he came with a big entourage. The patrol helicopter only seated four people. Right. So he'd kind of, you know, sometimes you'd have an entourage of 10 people. We'd be using three helicopters to move him from borough to borough, you know, for bullshit. You know, we do an Atlantic Ocean dip and just dip them out the side. Of the <laughs> yeah, helicopter. open the door on him, right? Just kind of just central be advised. We just lost the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we, we did a lot of those missions. Moving, we moved the police commissioner a lot, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, no, the, the most notable ones that I had was when Ramos and Lou got shot that day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that day. It was a horrible day. I mean, um, I worked with Lou. Oh, did you really? Well, he used to work the uh, station of security at 300 Gold Street, where I used to work. And okay, you know, he worked in the A4, which was right across the street. So I'd see him every morning. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. I mean, I, I remember that day. You know, I was leaving. It was a four. To, I would do. I did a day tour actually. I was leaving, and then you know, we're monitoring all the radio, so we heard the 13 come over, the shots fired, MOS shot, and. Uh, you know, I started the blood bank and then we, we immediately go into action, the aviation unit. It's like, all right, who do we got to move? Where do we got to take them? Where we got to pick them up? What's going on? So we start moving out all the helicopters. I was tasked to pick up Bratton. Bratton was in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, there was a snowstorm coming across like the Northeast in the United States at that point. So the guy I was with, uh, Seth Levenstein, great guy, another guy, he's still in the unit. Uh, he's an, he's a flight instructor there as well. But anyway, we had to go out and pick up Bratton. We were supposed to pick him up in Boston. So what we did was we worked it out with the state police that, Hey, why don't you start trucking him South, you know, towards us. And we're going to start heading North so that, and we'll meet in the middle somewhere. So we don't have to, you know, contend with this weather. So we happened to land, we happened to get to Providence, Rhode Island. And as soon as we landed at the airport right there, I saw the, like the Rhode Island state police pull up and here comes Bratton. You know, and now we have to shut the helicopter down because I got to fill up the fuel to get all the way back home. You know? pack, that, pack that helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we get him on board and, and now it's an hour and a half flight back to the city. And now we're hitting snow squalls. So that was an interesting flight, you know, um, but we got him back. I wound up landing in like a, a parking lot or, or, or some sort of football field in the seven nine, you know. Does he have a flask on him or something? What is he doing up there? <laughs> Please tell me he's got a flask. I don't know. <laughs> Please tell me he's smoking butts like crazy. Yeah, 
No. <laughs> what, was the, what was the scariest weather you ever flew through? Scariest weather? No, scariest. You know, scariest weather. You were actually scared as a pilot. Concerned. We like to use the word concerned. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you use scared, nobody ever wants to get... Yeah, yeah. So if, if, if you use the word scared, nobody ever wants to get on the helicopter with you. So for the most concerned I got, I was doing a midnight. Uh, this is probably back 2007. And we were up in the Bronx and, you know, Floyd Bennett Field has a tendency. A lot of guys don't realize it, but you could be calling for aviation. You're up in the north somewhere and you're like, and they're like aviation's down. It's bright sunlight, you know, but Floyd Bennett Field, we get fogged in. We're right off the Atlantic Ocean. So you get that, you know, you get that weather change coming off the water, whether it's warm or cold air, and it generates this fog and it comes over the base. We can't go anywhere. You know, so I'm coming back. I remember one night on a midnight, we just did a job up in the Bronx and it's probably like three o'clock in the morning. I get right to the base. I'm about 200 feet on final and I lost the whole base. Gone, gone. So like, all right, what am I going to do here? So at the time we had single engine helicopters. They weren't instrument certified. So in a sense, you couldn't really fly in the clouds with them in, in, a, in a legal sense. Right. Um, the, the helicopters were probably capable, but in a legal sense, you couldn't. So, uh, but anyway, lo and behold, I, I lost the base for, for a minute. I shit my pants. And finally, I just kept on keeping the pants up. What does that mean when you say you lost the base? So, you, you know, you got to, when, when you're landing, you got a specific landing pad that you're landing on, you know, and, and it's surrounded by lights. So you're you looking out the window? You're looking out the window. Yeah. Yeah. So this, you know, <laughs> We were flying all out, out the, most of our flying, 99% of our flying is out the window, right? So, so to say, because we're flying on visual flight rules. We're looking out. But, you know, I was on short file and the fog just came in really fast, kind of obscured my, my, you know, my field of vision. And I just kept the descent going for a little bit. And then I picked up the lights again and I got us on the ground. Otherwise, I would have had a takeoff. It's, you know, dark of night, in the middle of the night. Um, now you're in the clouds. Now you got to talk to air traffic control, get a flight clearance, get into the, it, there's a lot involved. And if you're not prepared to go into to clouds uh, at that moment, you don't have a flight plan on file or something like that. That's when things go wrong really fast, really fast. But that's kind of what happened to the Kobe Bryant guy, you know? Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I was going to ask you about that because, you know, helicopters, they used a lot and I don't know uh, the comparison between you know, regular cars and motor vehicles uh, and how many get into accidents. But we always hear about the helicopter accidents. And some of them, are, yeah. you know, like, for example, what you just mentioned, Kobe Bryant. What, what happened with that? Yeah. So, I mean, an airplane is built to go into the clouds, right, for long distance. You take off, you're on a three-hour flight or an hour flight, sometimes a seven-hour flight. And they go by instrument flight rules. They get into the clouds. They, they're legally uh, allowed to go into the clouds and they file a flight plan. So you're planning on going in the clouds, okay? Uh, helicopters, in the sense, are built for short commutes, you know, maybe a five-minute or 10-minute flight. So it, it's really time-consuming if you're going to go into the clouds, the whole process of doing it. Um, it's, not too, it's not that it's uncommon, but it's just a lot of these people that use helicopters these days, uh, very wealthy individuals, they, their time is money. So they don't want to go into the clouds. They want to just stay visual and get to someplace really fast. So the reason why you hear a lot about these helicopters doing that is not that the helicopters, there's a fault with the helicopters. 
the, the helicopters are fully certified to fly in the clouds. It's, it's the pilot made a decision, I'm going to fly visual. And he may have got himself into the clouds inadvertently, and he wasn't prepared to do so. Um, because if you're, you know, quite honestly, you file a flight plan in a helicopter, you go up into the clouds, you're prepared to go in it, and then you terminate that flight in an airport that has instrument, you know, capabilities, instrument facilities to land the helicopter. So what happens is guys aren't ready for it. You get in the clouds, things get ugly really fast, and, and you're basically turning the helicopter upside down because you have no reference. You have no spatiality, you know? Yeah. Well, in, in another way, JFK Jr., he wasn't instrument certified, and he what lost his horizon. That's why. He that's correct. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. So, if the only way I can describe it to some people is to say, "Hey, I'm going to walk you into a room. And I'm going to say, you see the door on the other side. I want you to go to that other door, and you see it, right? Now I'm going to put a blindfold on you, spin you around ten times, and say, walk to that door. Can you think you could do it? You know. So now but the helicopter. You know what's even a better thing is to go into the woods. And not real, you know, not have a compass. Yes. And everything looks the same, and you won't know how how to go out. Right. You, you don't know which direction to go. Right. So right. talk about disorientation. You don't know, and that's how Correct. people also they get lost in the woods. They yeah. Well. Compass on. Them. Yeah. Well, when you go into the clouds, what happens is your inner ear tells you like, "Hey, I'm climbing," but the helicopter's instrumentation is saying, "No, you're descending." And the instincts of somebody and anybody is to trust their own instincts and say, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely climbing, but the helicopter is showing I'm descending. So, all right, if I'm climbing, I'm going to, I'm going to push the, the nose down, but you're actually aggravating the situation. Right. You're essentially becoming a lawn dart at that moment. You know, how about, um, how about these, um, these military missions, like for example, going after uh, Osama bin Laden. Right. Or, I think there was, uh, well, didn't one of those helicopters hit, uh, one of those helicopters hit something, right? Yeah, I'm not too sure about the particulars, but I, I think there was a, a some sort of uh, concrete wall ar around this compound, right? And I think one of the helicopters may have, on their, on their approach into that compound, hit the tail. I think that's what happened. I, I can't speak to it. Um, I'm not too sure, but I could tell you this much. I've flown on night vision goggles, and if you don't have a lot of training with night vision goggles, you know, your, your field of view goes from 100, I think the average person is about 110 degrees. Now when you got night vision goggles, you're down to 40 degrees. So you can't use your peripheral vision. You've got to constantly scan back and forth with these night vision well, that's, goggles. That was my point. It was like how hard this thing is that people who train in that capacity and uh, do this that mission over and over and over and over and over again yep and they still when the, it comes down to the mission it's just like running a football play yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying that's right the yeah. defenders there you yep. know you could run it over and over and over again these guys are perfectionists they could do that mission 99 out of 100 times without even thinking about it now yeah but on that particular night I mean, they made it. Obviously, they, they, they completed their mission. It was a successful mission, yeah. But they lost yeah, the helicopter. But they did. What was it? There's a lot of incidents like that. Even the one uh, that they made the movie on. Didn't that helicopter go down there? Well, that was what, Black Hawk Down? You, you, you yeah, talking yeah. About? yeah, I think they got shot down, all those guys. And, and they were just like in the middle of a war zone there. And they got plucked out, you know. Um, but, yeah, helicopters are built, you know, for, like I said, it for short missions. So they're not meant for long, you know, hauls, let's put it that way. Um, 
So, you know, they, a lot of things can go wrong. There's a lot of moving parts on a helicopter. You're a tourist. You're coming to New York City. Would you take a helicopter tour? All right. Well, I flew those Knowing helicopters. What you know. <laughs> Knowing what you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, uh, when I first got into aviation, I did a little side work flying for tour helicopters. Um, did I feel comfortable flying those, that fleet of helicopters for the company that I worked for? I'll put it to you this way. I, flew, I, I worked there for three days. And I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I, I literally did. I, I mean, you know, uh, the maintenance on the helicopters probably wasn't the best. You know, they, 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 these things are freaking money mills, man. They're charging these guys $270 for, for an eight-minute flight. That's, that's my point, because you go away. You go to a Seaside Heights, New yeah. Jersey, Ocean yeah. City, Maryland, and then the next thing you know, you're on the boardwalk, and you're trusting some Russian girl yeah. that just got here a week ago, they gave her a half hour course. That's right. Fucking <laughs> slingshot thing. And you and your girlfriend are going to go, are you kidding me? So are, are you speaking from experience? <laughs> no, no, I just, I stand there and I watch in awe. Are yeah. you really going to trust like the, the parasailing yeah. and all these other oh, yeah. things? Yeah. You yeah. don't know how long they make you sign the waiver. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's the same way I feel about like, just getting on a fucking uh, a helicopter ride to the city. I'm like, wow, they, you know what? I don't know. I, I, yeah, well, I mean, there are a couple of firms that do the tours out of Manhattan. Um, you know, they, they've, they've really like cut it in half now with all the sound regulations and, you know, noise and stuff like that. But uh, the company that I worked for in particular, I didn't, you know, I, I had some issues with their maintenance and I said, I'm not going to work here anymore. And not only that, like I said, they're charging a person about $170 for a 10 minute flight. Now I probably flew about a hundred people in one day. So that means that firm was making, you know, maybe 17, $18,000. The pilot wasn't getting any of that. Like really, I mean, compared to what the people were paying, what the, they're paying the salaries for the pilot, just wasn't worth it. You know, you know Mike, my, my wife works at, in this real ritzy building on the Upper West Side and two re really rich girls, about 17 years old, get on the elevator with her. And one girl goes, I hate, taking the Hampton Jitney out to Montauk. <laughs> oh, and the other girl looks at her and goes, why don't you copter with us? Oh, oh my goodness. I, like, ah. I deal with a lot of those people, though. I deal with a lot of those we people. We have the, what is it called? The, the razor or something that flies out? The yeah, the blade. The blade. Yeah, blade. Blade, blade does it. It costs like 350 bucks. Yeah. I'm not sure what they charge for a seat. I think it might be about 600 bucks one is way. Really? Yeah. Is that for a round trip? You know what, though? If I think it's one way. One if way? You, yeah. If you got money, it's so worth it. Yeah. Listen. If you, no, seriously. Yeah. You know, the right. difference between taking a half hour ride out to Montauk or to the Hamptons Yeah. and sitting in three hours worth of LIE traffic, oh, yeah. Yeah. if I had the money, like that's not, it's a no brainer. Yeah. I'd be like, excuse me, pilot, can I get a closer look at 27 <laughs> Please, I want to see those presents. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, that's what, you know, one of my, my main gig is, is, is I, fl I fly for some very influential people who own their own helicopter, three, three partners. Uh, and, you know, they, they'll, they'll fly from Teterboro to, you know, Teterboro, New Jersey, which is right across the, the Hudson River, right. to the heliport in 30th Street. It's literally a, a four minute flight. You know, they'll get off their jet there and then they'll go to, but these people, time is money and, and they, they want to move. And I guess, like you said, Mark, you know, if, if you had the option to do that and not sit in the traffic, it's, it's nice. Oh yeah. You know? I mean, $600 if you're a billionaire. You know. Oh yeah. But, but the people that own their own aircraft, that's a drop in a bucket. It's nothing. I mean, if they own their own helicopter, 
you got to remember the cost of operating the average helicopter is probably between fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars an hour. You know, look, the people, a lot of people that own these jets, like for example, that guy that um, <laughs> he was the lawyer for uh, remember what was it for the the girl that supposedly Trump um, the pro, what was it? She was a porn star. Which oh uh, Avenatti uh, was his name. Oh Avenatti. He owned a jet. That lawyer, right? That no 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 no. He was what happens is you can buy in. So it's like 10 of us own this jet. Yes. And what happens is there's like a, there's a schedule, whatever. And it it goes around. But because he wanted to sit down, I always say this, he he wanted to sit down and play poker with the big boys. Yeah. And then he, he you know, he, he went all in on the first round. They they they, That's they, right. they destroyed him. They destroyed this guy's life. They took away that jet. And the problem was that nine other people own this jet. So yeah. they had to go to court oh, to and, fight and say, not only did he, he he didn't own part of the jet, but he was behind on the, the payments before they kicked him out. Yes. Yeah. And they still took it away, the government. Yeah, because it's fra they have a fractional ownership. A lot of people do that. Yep. But he but he was already done with his lease and he owed money from the past lease. It's incredible. I did I did security in nineteen eighty six for Arnold Schwarzenegger and he owned his own seven forty seven. Oh really? Yeah, flying out of Teterboro. Man. When when I was when he was flying back to California, I said, Arnold, can I check out your jet? He goes, Yeah, come on board. Oh really? It, it only had four seats, like huge like leather dental seats. Yeah, yeah, back and stuff, and I was like, yeah, and you can take off, you know, whatever you want as long as the airport that's receiving you is is open. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, well, these guys save time. I mean, think about it. You go to an airport. If your flight's at seven o'clock, you're getting to the airport by five, right? Because you got to go through TSA. You got to drop your bags. These guys, if they want to leave at seven, they arrive at the jet. Most of the times, I'll take them right to the jet, like to the walkway. They'll walk five feet to the to the so six fifty five for a seven o'clock flight, you know. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's how it works. It's 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 you know lifestyles of the rich and famous, you yeah, know. Even, for, even first class is so ghetto. Oh yeah, <laughs> they give you a cookie. I, I flew first class for the first time. My wife and I uh, back in twenty fourteen, we went to Dominican Republic. We got I don't know how whatever we we landed and we we wound up getting a seat in first class we were the only people in first class so i'm thinking i'm a big shot i'm thinking this is going to be great man i get a hot cookie right i think it was a cup of tea and a hot towel but a bigger seat which was really nice you know yeah. when i flew to edinburgh i don't know how my wife did it she got us in first class yeah and the, i mean the seat was amazing i got fucking hammered on california <laughs> cabinet and yeah. i was like this is pretty good you know yeah. i passed out and i woke up in edinburgh but I was yeah. after like six or seven glasses of really good Cabernet from California, Napa Valley Cabernet. <laughs> but you get spoiled once you fly first class. You can't go back in the cattle class anymore, you know? You feel like a freaking stowaway. When I got on the plane, I go to the left. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first class cabin. I go deep to the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's the way to fly, man. No, you know? Not for nothing. In a couple of days, you're going to be able to get on the plane first because you're going to be a senior citizen. <laughs> That's right, man. I'm getting Any old. senior citizens here? You're going to, I'm here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get on there. You know, well, it's funny. I didn't know out, out of Long Island, you go to Jones Beach on the weekends. Or no, even during the week, you don't have to pay the toll. 
You say I'm a senior citizen. It's free. I was like, oh, shit, I don't Oh, nice. Does that uh, listen? I'm going to be 50 in two weeks. Can I get that too? Or <laughs> no, I think you got to be 62 or over. I got some time, man. I got some time. Uh, I'm going to be 64 uh, next week. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. That's more, a, it's, it's pretty much highway driving on this body. No, not really. These are rough miles on this body. <laughs> you know, he's, we like know the, he's almost like a, a six million dollar man. He got oh, a new hip. Now he's got to get a I, new I shoulder. Maybe the other shoulder. Now. Yeah, I'm falling apart, man. I need <laughs> parts, you know. Mike, you know, we we wanted to ask you also, and you know, I'm sure you love to talk about this because I, if I had a medal valor, I'd be very proud of it. And uh, you want to tell us about uh, how you uh, became uh, the story behind you receiving the Medal of Valor? So uh, it's kind of odd, but uh, it was about 2011. I was doing a four to 12. And I think I, I, the midnight guy, hey, one of the Mike, pilots- Mike, Mike, this isn't the request for departmental recognition. <laughs> yeah, I'm like giving you a whole scenario, right? With total disregard for- All right, so, I put the helicopter- Yeah, at time, place, and occurrence, right? <laughs> A TPO. Yeah. No, so a TPO. Yeah. My partner and I were, um, you know, isn't it Adam amazing? Adam Boy, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Every cop you talk to, like they give you the synopsis the same way. Oh it's, man, it's unbelievable. Like, or else, right, if, if they're a boss, they give you the Comstat version. Oh yeah, right, right. So yeah, so in 2011, I, I'm the reason why I'm telling you the backstory is it's funny because I wasn't supposed to be at work. So I was doing a four to twelve. Uh, one of the midnight pilots bangs in. And he said, hey, Mike, you, you know, we need coverage. You want to stay and do a double? I said, yeah, all right, no problem. I'll do it. And it was overtime, cash overtime. Never turned that down, right? So uh, anyway, and the, and the unit was down. We were down because the weather was so bad. You know, we'll go down when the wind's going excess of like 30 knots. Um, and I think that night it was blowing 40, no, wait, 45 wait, wait, knots. Further. Like when you guys go down, they make you go out and write parking summonses and stuff? No, thank God. <laughs> God. Yeah. Aviation pilot, I want a book from you this month. <laughs> yeah, thank God, man. Oh, no. The helicopters get hangered, and, and, and some guys will just plop on the couch and watch a movie or something, or, you know, watch a helicopter or do something else. Yeah. Some of the, the heavy guys will just go and study, whatever. Um, but anyway, I was doing a 4 to 12. Uh, this, the midnight guy bangs in, and so I'm staying. I'm doing a midnight now. And we get a call around 2 o'clock in the morning from New York State Police saying that two West Point cadets went missing and they don't know where they are. They've been missing since I think it was four o'clock in the afternoon that day. Now this is two o'clock in the morning, it's 10 hours, you know, 12 hours later or whatever. And, uh, but they think they found them. They think they know where they are. They're on this, uh, this mountain called Storm King mountain. They just don't, they can't get to them. They can't get to them by, by, by foot or, or by any type of vehicle. Uh, state police has them supposedly. So, they asked us, they said, hey, can you guys go up there and maybe try to attempt to pull these guys off the mountain, you know? So now we're going up there. It's, um, you know, we, we have to weigh out the options here. It's 45 knots, which is about 50 mile an hour winds. It's dark as shit. So that means we're wearing our night vision goggles. Um, and it's going to take us a while to get up there because the winds are blowing out of the north. We're heading north. So, you know, our ground speed is reduced by whatever the wind speed is. So it's going to take us a long time to get up there so we had a big powwow the ceo was in at the time jimmy Cohn. um i don't know if you're familiar with him but he was our ceo at the time and he said hey you, you guys want to pull this off and we all you know the whole crew 
said, yeah, let's do this. You know, let's, let's go give it a shot. So normally the air sea rescue uh, asset would, would carry two scuba divers. Um, and for some reason that night they opted to take two ESU guys. So we took two, two ESU guys up there and, uh, off we went. We had the night vision goggles on, were and we're trucking up there. Were they wearing the ESU racks or no? No. They <laughs> <laughs> left we had two. Room that night. Yeah. So it, it took us a while. So we 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 got up. We started trucking up there. It took us about probably an hour to get up there. Um, and funny, this is 2011. We had state police. They were hovering. They said, "Hey, we got them." They had their their, their spotlight, which we call the night sun, on them. And we, I said, hey, listen, we, we can't really see them too well. So they said, well, they got cell phones. Now, this is 2011, where your average cell phone screen isn't like what it is now. Right. You know, we're talking flip phones, you know? And so, and we're at, you know, 1,500 feet. So to, to see somebody was really tough. Um, but we, we, we found them. We picked them out, and boom, there they were. Now, it's also February. It's ice cold. These guys are probably on, on the verge of getting hypothermia. So it was pretty cold. Um, and now we're going to attempt to go and, and try to pluck them off because state police didn't have the, the equipment or the personnel to do it. And the army at the time, I think didn't have it either. So we were the only guys could, that could potentially do this to get these guys off the mountain. How about, how about the Coast Guard? Well, Coast Guard would deal with water operations and, and the closest asset would probably be in Atlantic city. So that would take them about two and a half hours to get up. And, you know, those guys, they're excellent by all means, but when they do, when they conduct a rescue operation, they kind of have like a 45 minute powwow before and a pre brief. These guys were supposedly on the verge of getting hypothermia. So time was of essence. Right. So uh, when we got there, like I said, we were on the night vision goggles. I was fairly new to them at that point. I wasn't flying the helicopter. I was the co-pilot. So uh, the guy that I was flying with Steve Browning, he was, he was an army aviator and he, he had a lot of, experience with night vision goggles and the way it was set up was these two guys were on the edge of a mountain and it was kind of like an outcropping so if you could you could envision you ever see when a helicopter kind of tucks into a mountain and the blades are really close to the edge and we drop the line and you know the hoist line to, to pluck somebody off well that's pretty much what it was like all i remember was us tucking the nose into the of the helicopter into the side of the mountain and just watching that I could see the tip, they call it the tip path plane of the blades, which is the end of the blade. I could see it spinning. And all I kept on saying was, you're good, hold it there. You're good, hold it here, keep it there, left, come like, you know, whatever. While the, while the crew chief was given his directions of where he needed the helicopter as well. I was just making sure that those blades weren't hitting that mountain. Because if they, if they hit a tree, if they hit anything, any type of brush, we were done. We were, we were toast, wow. you know? So we put... We sent down one guy, uh, ESU guy, down on the hook. He went down on the hoist, plucked one guy up. We brought him up. At that point, we had to leave the other guy on the mountain. Um, we actually brought him up alone. We, we left the ESU guy on the mountain to stay with the other guy because we were low on fuel. We couldn't, we couldn't perform another hoist at that point because we were, we were really low on fuel. So we had to bring him back, drop him off, get him some sort of medical aid, fuel up, come back, and then pick up the second two, which was our ESU guy. Did you go to the Exxon station on route? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had, the, lucky, the, the good thing was we had Stewart Airport right there. So we had, uh, you know, the New York State Police, which had fuel. 
Yeah, yeah, they, they, they probably bill us, right? <laughs> so, how much, uh, how much fuel do they take? Like, how far can you go on a full tank? Well, the, the problem is, if you, you could, uh, you know, an average, if you filled up a tank on, on most helicopters, you could probably do the average two and a half, two hours. But every time you put a passenger on, you got to take that much fuel away because the helicopter can only lift a certain amount of, of weight. So you're limited by weight. So, you know, if you were going to go an hour away, you got to put an hour's worth of fuel and you got to account for passengers. And we had to figure out all of this stuff, you know, so that was a tough thing. We had to fill up the helicopter to get up there, but then we had to make sure that we, when we got on station, we weren't overweight when we were picking these guys up or, or in that sense, we were running out of fuel. So there was a lot of things that went on, but lo and behold, at the end of the day, we were wearing, you know, night vision goggles. Uh, the winds were blowing about 50 miles an hour. And we, we got these two uh, West Point cadets off the mountain safely before they got. How'd they get over there? What's that? How'd they get over there? They got lost. They, they separated from their, their hike, supposedly. Um, I think they refer to them as plebes. These are, these are you know, the new guys. And, and, freshmen. Um, yeah, freshmen. Yeah. yeah, they were like freshmen. Yeah, plebes. And, and they disappeared from their, um, from their group. And, and they just, whatever. And, and. They wound up there, so you know. But they were they were in the supposedly in the early stages of hypothermia. So it was it it was something. It was it was an experience. I can tell you that much. We had a good crew though. Wow, a great crew great, that day. Man. That's a great story. I mean, uh, yeah, I was almost crying. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was, but I can tell you this much. It was. What, I I refer to it as the rescue that wouldn't go away because. The the job ran with it. They you know we got right, so much media attention. More awards than you. Oh. It, Bill, I couldn't tell you. It got to the point where. Tell me, well, well, go slowly. Go slowly. <laughs> well, well, first it started. Oh, I, I can tell you a funny story. Wait, wait, wait. You saved their lives, and then what happened the next day? So I come back. You know, everybody busts your balls or whatever. I, I, I go home. I go to sleep because I did a double. I get up about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and at the time I had a BlackBerry. And my BlackBerry's ringing off the hook with my friends. I'm just muting it. I'm like, I'm out. Because because it had made the news already. And they had my picture on the news. And they had all the other the crew guys on the news. But my phone rings and then it's an un, it's a restricted number. Now, we all know as cops and just people in general, I'm not picking up a restricted number. But for some reason, I picked up the phone. Hello? Hey, Mike. How you doing? This is, uh, this is Ray Kelly. I go, stop busting my balls, bro. I'm not in the mood for this. You know, I thought it was one of the guys I worked with. No, it was the police commissioner. He's calling my cell phone, you know? So I'm like, how the hell did this guy get my cell phone number? But it was, it was Ray Kelly. And Ray Kelly, you know, he did a great job. Uh, you know, we want to honor you. So you got tomorrow at 1 PP, we're going to have this big uh, press conference, a media conference and whatever else. And, and then that's when it started and it never stopped. It was just like, I was on a freaking a media tour for, for the next five days, you know, Did you get, you get on TV, you got on all the morning shows. Oh, it was, it was everywhere. It was, it made all the major, you know, like New York city, uh, news and, and the local papers. And then it got national. It went national. And uh, who are you with? Like right now, does the department give you somebody to just bring you from place to place? Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get, so you get a, you get a guy from DCPI who says, all right, we're going to do channel two. So now it's like seven o'clock in the morning. We're doing channel two. I went on Greg Kelly, uh, channel five with you know Roseanne Scotto and all right now we're doing now we're going to channel eleven. It's like when is this going to end? You uh, know. And who is this? You and your partner? The, <clears throat> the whole crew. Yeah, it was it was me. The whole you know Steve Browning, Fern Almeida, which was the crew chief, great guy. 
Um, Billy, uh, I forget the name of the other guys that was uh, on the. Oh yeah, Billy, Billy Stevens, and then the Chris Condon. Guys too. What's that? Did they bring the West Point guys too? No, no, no those guys. No, they were embarrassed. They were whole life. <laughs> we never got to meet those guys, but we had like a, a conference call. I remember the CEO called us in the office, and and those guys were on the conference call thanking us. And then like the the general from from West Point came down and gave us the civilian version of their military. Uh, but yeah, this thing was just like, it, it blew up in a major proportion. I wound up going to the White House for this top cop ceremony they did. Um, it, so yeah, it, I mean, it got some rec you know, recognition, but it, it started getting crazy. Who was the president at the time? Obama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you should have been like the Super Bowl guys that won't go when they win when Trump is there. I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the biggest thing for me was I literally was in the White House and I was in the Lincoln room and I, I had to I had to take a leak. So I, I walked into the, the restroom and uh, it was right. I literally looked to the right and there was the Oval Office. And I said, while I'm peeing in the urinal, I go, Jesus, you know how many presidents probably peed in this freaking urinal? You know, uh -huh. amazing, amazing. That's great, man. So now what you're That's doing amazing. is you're just, you're just flying for uh, three rich guys? Yeah, so I, I, uh, I do, I, I've been flying for them for 10 years. Um, three rich, wealth, very wealthy, influential people in the, in the New York metropolitan area. Epstein? What? You fly Epstein to his island? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> he may be still alive, though. There's, there's, there's some conspiracy theories that he's alive, right? How, how, how much do you think those pilots get paid? I don't know, man, but I, I, I could tell you, I, I could tell you this much. That guy, I remember his helicopter. I remember where it was hangered, and I used to see it flying all the time. I never, I never flew him though. Now, not, not in a circle of people that I flew, you know. But uh, yeah, I fly. There's three wealthy individuals. They own a helicopter. They're a very influential family in in the uh, the tri-state area, and they move around wherever they need to go. I fly them with. With the com you know, we have two other pilots. What does the helicopter uniform look like? There's no the hat with the uh, scrambled eggs on it. Nah, they. You know what's funny? If you if you would wear your average uniform and you went to headquarters, so we would our collar brass had like they look like inspector wings. You know that they're they're wings. Yeah, like the aviation wings. Yeah, the aviation wings. But you'd have one above your shield, but you'd have two on your collar brass. So if you had your jacket on and they see the collar brass, I would go to detail sometimes. And, and you'd have these young rookies saluting you. And you go, what are you saluting me for? And they'd call your boss. You go, no, no, I'm not an inspector, man. I'm in aviation. You ever get your car towed at one PP? What's that? You ever get your car towed? You, 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 you know, I, I, you want to laugh? I did. I, I chased, I ran two blocks and chased the tow truck. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I got. They had no respect for guys from the field, you know? A marked RP, I got towed. I car there, Sarge. You. Yeah, but I, I got told with a mocked R&P. <laughs> yeah, and there, Crazy. Was time, there was this little old-time weasel. He had like 40 years writing summons at one PP. I saw I parked somewhere, and I see him like looking sideways. Yeah, I knew that little fuck was gonna write me a summons, but it wasn't my car. It was the police department's car. Right, so was but it was an unmarked car, car, right? That little weasel wrote it quick. I come out and I'm like that little fuck. You know? No, I had to. I get. I had to have like a whole. This, this, this girl that worked at 1PP headquarters gave me a whole spiel about you can't park it. They towed a marked R&P. Fucking marked R&P. No, you know, I, I, I had these two sergeants from headquarters like doing this to me. 
I go, don't you even fucking think about putting yeah. your finger at me, you little empty suit. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, had to go up, I had to go up to see the chief patrol to get yeah. my plaque back because they took the plaque and told the car, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, man. I go to security guys. You're cannon. You're cannon. Oh, those guys were unbelievable. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> unbelievable, right? Yeah. But yeah, Mark. You are, you're a pilot. And they, they told you, God. Well, I used to wear, we used to wear a flight suit. So they, they wear this flight suit. It's made out of Nomax. It's a, it's a, a flame retardant suit. So if there's a fire, your chance of survivability or getting burned. You're not supposed to use that word anymore, by the way. I, listen, I, I'm not politically correct. Which one? Retarded. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I don't care what the suit is, but, you know. Retardant, right? Right, retardant. So we would wear these flight suits, um, and sometimes, you know, we would have to go to one PP. And I remember I get in the elevator with, you know, I, you get in the, you, you're with these heavy hitters, you know, these squad guys. And I remember this one guy standing next to me. You, first of all, you get, hey, did you land on the roof? You know, I, I, if, I, if I had a dollar for everybody, every time somebody said, did, did I land on the roof, I'd be a fucking millionaire. Yeah. But, you know, I get this one guy, and he looks over at me, he's, he's like, Hey, nice onesie. You know, because it's like a jumpsuit, you know? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I thought about it for a moment. I go, man, these things do look horrible. <laughs> but, you know, but we wore these flight suits. Said, Super, man, they're suit. cool. Like you should have said, nice coaster mark from the Chief's fucking coffee cup on the top of your head. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, those, listen, they're, they're cool, man. Listen, they're just jealous. Yeah, that, that's it. That's way, it. Yeah. It's way cooler than, you know, like, uh, okay, I get it if you wear those pants if you're actually on the motorcycle right the guys getting out of the uh, highway car you know r and peace and you got the big baggy pants it's like really yeah. you don't need yeah, them. I know. yeah. You're, not, yeah. you're not on the motorcycle right right of course you, you can wear regular pants yeah i i think the the bad the you know the, the best looking units in, in the in the police department were, were always mo mounted you know aviation uh, highways sometimes they are pretty impressive with some of their motorcades that they that they pull off too. You know when they when they do like the POTUS runs, I'm pretty amazed. We used to do you know we used to watch them from from above and and those guys are pretty talented man. The way they, they cut off the exits, they, they yeah, yeah. yeah yeah they were you know listen they're pros. Those guys yeah yeah. yeah. But I'd rather, I'd rather pick on the people that work at 1PP than praise Oh, them. I hated going to that building, man. Because they had, like, disdain for you because you were out in the field, you know? Yeah. You mean you're not studying uh, to be a chief? You know, like... Yeah. <laughs> Remember how intimidating Evoc was and the guys that used to drive it, the course? Yeah. If, if for our listeners that uh, don't know what Evoc is, that is the emergency vehicle... Uh, Something. And yeah, I forget what it was. You, you, you learn how to drive a police car. Or emergency vehicle accident course or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, but what, yeah, whatever it is, it, uh, it was a hard course, especially for like somebody who wasn't used to driving that way or had like yeah. some semblance of control. And then you get these guys out there and they were just banging out in two seconds. Yeah. You know, just because yeah. it was used to it, but still you learn how to drive a car really, really good. That's right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we shared a runway with those guys. So they used to be doing the EVOC and we're doing emergency training. You know, I used to train, we used to do auto rotations, which was you shut the, you're essentially shutting the engine off of the helicopter and you're landing it without engine power. So we used to share a runway with these guys and they'd be doing all their evasive maneuvers while we're coming down with a helicopter, you know, 50 feet over their head, 
You know, it, it was kind of crazy, man. We, when I was nation. in San Diego, they have like the um, the naval training there, and they would do the same thing. They were practicing takeoffs and landings and stall the engines. On yeah. Try to restart. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's what that's what we would do. We do a lot of that uh, training, auto rotative training. Uh, you know, uh, now we don't. You know, with the newer helicopters. So when I first got to the aviation unit, two thousand five, we had single engine helicopters. And with a single engine helicopter, if you're flying over Manhattan, two thousand feet, you lose the engine. You're pretty much landing within a half a mile or a mile. You know. And you better land somewhere good that has a good lot of open space. You're not going to be going into like some parking lot. You got to slide a little bit. Um, with the newer helicopters, now we have twin engines. Uh, we've changed the fleet. They've, they've evolved. And, and the safety margin is just that much bigger, you know. So um, you lose an engine with a, with a twin engine helicopter. You fly away and get to land where you want to land, not where you have to land. Did you ever have hey, um, an emergency landing? Um, no. Uh, I've gotten emergencies in flight, which was, you know, rectified in flight, which could have warranted maybe potentially a, a, a emergency landing. But no, I never had an engine, an engine failure. Hey, uh, how about the people that run out of the helicopter when it lands? And, um, you know, they're nowhere near that, that thing in the air, but yet they're covering themselves up and they're, they're yeah. getting really low. How stupid did it do that's they look? Mark, that, you'll do the same exact fucking thing. That's just yeah, every, everybody, for thing. some reason, I guess they watch a lot of movies. There's a natural thing that you do, but then there's people that are obviously going to go over the top. Yes. What have you seen? Yeah, and you're going to stick your head up. The, the, the good thing is whenever we had passengers on our helicopters, generally, we would discharge them and load them with the helicopter not on. You know, it was, it was off. But like when we're moving the mayor or the police commissioner, they had to go in and out while it was running. And we'd have the crew chief telling them, hey, just go this way. You know, but everybody has a tendency to, to cover their head like they're in freaking Magnum PI or something, you know? Uh -huh. it's, it's, but it, the, the chances of you getting hit with that rotor, those things are sitting 20 feet high. If you walk in front and, and the rotor blades are tilted down. Yeah, you, I'm six foot four. Yeah, if you walk the front of the helicopter, sometimes some helicopters have the tendency to, to have the blades down. That's how Mark got that haircut. <laughs> I got peak. I still got peak. I don't want to mess up my hair either. That's why I didn't go into aviation. I always thought about that. Like, yeah, I, you got to wear a helmet all the time. Yeah, I don't want to mess up the hair. You should have been a highway motorcycle cop. What for your hair, you know? <laughs> you can't your first name's not tony i used to do that i go to a detail i see six highway cops in a circle like in a huddle talking to each other i go hey tony well whenever whenever bill gets to his tony joke it's time for us to uh, remind our audience that have enjoyed tonight's show that we also have a patreon page if you enjoy our what we're producing here uh, we could definitely use your help. It, it costs money to do this. Uh, we take a lot of time. We have, uh, you know, we have guests and, um, you know, we have gifts that we've gotten for our Patreon customers and you could be part of this. Um, in order to join our Patreon. I could show them the mug, but the mug that's, is... Yeah, that's happen. not the mug. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to show them the mug. We're going to get them now. That's They're all coming to you. Our Patreon subscribers, we're getting you a Christmas nice. gift. You're getting a mug. Um, a free helicopter ride with Mike Sissy. <laughs> <laughs> a free helicopter ride. Helicopter. 
free helicopter ride for joining our Patreon. to the Hamptons with him. Hey, Here's to our Patreon. Please visit us on Police Off the Cuff uh, at patreon.com. Check it out. We have three tiers. Bill will tell you about them. Our tiers have a sense of humor, all right? And that's T-I-E-R-S, not T-E-A-R-S, tier, like levels. The first tier is called The Bucket. If you're a cheap fuck that only wants to pay $7 a month to see us, you're called The Bucket. You carry that bucket around with you. The second tier costs $9 a month is Polish My Rack. And there's a picture of my rack on the, on the Patreon site. You can bring your cloth and polish it if you'd like. That's $9 a month. But the premier $11 a month to see all this unbelievable, what would we call it? It's a show, right? Content. Content. That's all unbelievable content is $11 a month. And that's called dipped in butter. <laughs> ever felt yeah, it, but... to dip them in butter. That's what it feels like to watch our Patreon page. So we're gonna we're gonna run a deal where if you join up now between now and um we got to pick a date, but we'll also send you a mug as well uh, for joining. And, um, you know, Bill has a show that he, a true crime show for our Patreon listeners. It's exclusive. Um, he breaks it down. The really interesting cases. Um, it's better than any TV show that you'll see. Real, real cases. Uh, the detective that actually handled the case, intimate details. And I have a more laid-back show. I do a one-on-one -on -one show with Mark DeMeo. I've had Timmy Hall, a great comedian. He's also um, a Baltimore police officer. Um, I had uh, Vicki Cooperman. She's a victim of a crime, a robbery, but she's an incredible comedian. She tells us about her, her ordeal. Um, Andrew Singer, uh, he was a, a Passaic County Sheriff. Um, he had to retire from the job because uh, his son got sick really interesting stories. I do like uh, a little bit more, um, you know, heartfelt stuff. And uh, I got a guest coming on for the holidays. Um, he's, uh, he's, his, he's really huge. He's on Twitter. It's uh and uh, Instagram is huge fat loser. He's an NYBD cop. <laughs> I love and that. he was really, uh, he transformed himself into being very like basically obese to being a, a, like almost like a professional bodybuilder. You know, he's, he looks amazing and, and he's going to tell us about uh, how to watch what we're doing over the holidays so we don't put on all those uh, holidays, uh, COVID pounds, extra ones. And uh, about his workout routine, how he got involved in it, what he's doing to help the community and stuff like that. So he's going to be my guest this week. Um, I want to thank our guest today for coming on with us. Uh, those were incredible stories. And Mike, you know, you got to come back on again because I don't think we scratched the surface. Yeah, I got plenty more. You know, plus I want a free fucking helicopter ride. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I just... Yeah, I would trust you. Mark, I trust him. Mark was talking about Mark DeMeo, one-on-one with Mark DeMeo and myself, real crime stories. I just got the most unbelievable get uh, to come on real crime stories. And it's retired chief Joseph Herbert, who actually had the um, Zodiac case. Oh, wow. He's an incredible, incredible cop. He used to talk at the homicide course. Yeah, I'm so looking forward. I never met him in my whole career. And I'm so, I mean, I'm so stoked to interview this guy. That's and great. I'm excited about coming on, which yep. Mark and I are getting a reputation. I don't know for what, but we are um, 
actual anchor. We've been doing this short of a year now. Maybe we've been doing it for like uh, nine more years. than a year. No, I, I short of two years. I, I meant right. to say. Well, we have over three hundred thousand people have listened to it on um, on Anchor, which we were trying to improve our numbers. We're trying to actually move this to to YouTube, but it, it's hard to make that transition, you know. And we have Facebook. We probably have another six, seven hundred thousand people have listened to us on that. But we're broke. <laughs> we're coming, we're coming with the mugs for our listeners. They said we're broke right now, you know. We're coming with T-shirts. We're gonna get some hats. Oh, and we're gonna keep bringing the great, great guest, Mike. Uh, thanks for coming on with us. We're gonna have you back again. Um, you were a great guest. I can't tell you. Fantastic. That was, uh, we need some round girls like behind us holding up. Yeah, I was I was, I was, thoroughly, I was thoroughly entertained tonight, man. Those are great stories. I, you had Thank some you. Of my questions. I still have more for you. Yeah. So hoping that you'll come back and, and visit us again. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you very much. You, family. You too. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Take care.